Welcome back to The Uncomfortable Truth. I'm Alan Weiss, and I have the pleasure of a guest this morning, uh, Rebecca Merrill. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you, Alan. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure. I'm a leadership coach, and I have been in business for myself and for others uh, since 1999. And currently, I coach physician, academic physicians almost exclusively um, at Stanford University. And there's a, there's a narrow range, right? And uh, <laughs> what's the nature of your coaching? What do you help them with, basically? So it depends on the level of the physician. So at the lower levels, uh, associate and assistant professors, I help them with navigating promotion, um, work-life balance, which is huge because many of them are young mothers with small children and partners who also work full-time, so they are navigating a lot. Um, and I help them with burnout, which is was sort of my secret sauce, which I can get into later. Um, I also work with higher level uh, physicians, so at the level of department chair and division chief. And with them, I help them with uh, navigating strategy and politics within academics, which is, um, as I fondly call it, the Game of Thrones times 10. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, you're not charging enough, not knowing anything more than that. <laughs> uh, the reason I asked Rebecca on today was that um, we were having a casual conversation about something else. And she remarked, as several people have, as many people have, that she had a very excellent year in, in 2020, uh, COVID notwithstanding. And I thought I would ask her today uh, why that is. And so if you, if you had to look back, uh, what are the two or three major reasons you think you had such a good year? Okay, great. Um, so my very first number one, way ahead of all the others, is um, essentially a renewable relationship. And my business has expanded dramatically just based on relationships. But in particular, the relationship that got me to Stanford was a relationship that started 13 years ago with a guy who was just beginning his position leading at Clinical Research Institute. And he got recruited to Stanford across the country. And um, I was working with him on the East Coast and he went to the West Coast. And this was before Zoom was omnipresent. And I just was bold and audacious. And I said, I think you need me. And he said, I think I do too. Yeah, I need so a, that, I make a good law firm bold and audacious, don't you think? What's that? Bold and audacious, it was. Yeah. It was, it was so, actually, yeah. So Go ahead. you're talking about a long-term relationship you're talking about referral business, sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a, there's a guy in my program for a long, long time in Dublin named Mark Donovan. And uh, he only consults in Dublin where he lives. That's the only place he consults. And he says to me once, you know, Alan, I need a brand. What should my brand be? And I said, the neighborhood consultant, that's your brand. <laughs> so you seem to have refined that even more in that you're really in one institution. Correct. Well, so it, it seems to me you have a community within which you operate. A, yes, this is true. So in some ways, while it looks undiversified, it's actually extremely diversified because there are lots and lots of people who uh, need coaching at Stanford. And this particular person who's my renewable relationship uh, has been coaching with me for 13 years. So he has no problem referring me to his division chiefs and to people in other departments. So um, trust which is built up over time, obviously, is the key there. And I'm, he's actually now been the reason I'm at Yale and the reason I'm at 
um, back at Duke and MD Anderson and various other places. Because oh, so you're other places besides Stanford. Yes. Right. So, but that's, that's been recent. Um, and only because when people leave Stanford, they take me with them. So. Well, that's like McKinsey. That's nice. Yeah. But now, if you, what did you say? You've been coaching him for nine years or 13 years or something? 13. Okay. 13. So you're not really coaching him, are you? I mean, that's more like a trusted advisor. Position. It's way more like a trusted advisor. And um, the second point that I was going to make is that you have to, you know, as they say, skate to the, where the puck is going, not where the puck is. So, Part of the reason that I was um, doing so well last year was that I had proactively created a nine month curriculum, which in and of itself is audacious in medicine. Um, and it was a curriculum designed to mitigate burnout that had essentially no competition on campus uh, because nobody was working on anything close to that kind of um, investment of time. And once I got people into the program, they, they did a three years of pilot and then they asked for me for a sequel. So I designed a sequel. And at which point, um, literally on the cusp of 2020, I had 64 people in eight groups, all doing one-on-one -on -one plus group. And they never yanked it. They decided that with COVID, they needed it. So, you know, either we should be worried that so many in Stanford, so many professors need help or uh, we should be very happy with the fact that they're bold enough to admit they need help and so forth and so on, right? <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, so uh, do you think that the COVID pandemic and the COVID crisis um, exponentially increased people's stress and realization they needed help? Or did you see success last year irrespective of the COVID crisis? I, th I think it's irrespective. I think if COVID hadn't happened, I would still have had the most successful year of my career. It just seemed to sail through COVID rather than getting uh, destabilized by COVID. So here's what I hear you saying. Um, you got there because of a substantial long-term relationship with someone who trusted you, uh, who sang your praises. Uh, you did a good job in Stanford and other people wanted to use you. You were audacious in building new programs and offerings for them. And now there are other places because of Stanford, you were able to ride that other places. So my question is, uh, what do you think, and, and, and you said irrespective of COVID that happened. So my question to you is though, sort of back to the original, uh, what is it that's made this so attractive to the, to the group there? You said it's really a diversified group not just a certain kind of professor in a certain academic category. What, what, what makes it so attractive to them? I think that in many respects, doctors have been raised to be bulletproof and from the very, very beginning. And so they, they walk around with their full, full metal jacket on and <laughs> don't reveal any vulnerability. And I think that what's been so attractive is that I create a safe space for them to be vulnerable without feeling weak. And their department chair modeled, you know, using me. And so they figure if he can use me, so can they. And we create very safe spaces for them to just tell the real truth, open the kimono. And that is a, a huge relief valve for them. And once they feel the sort of decrease of internal pressure, um, they recognize how much they've been carrying around with them. Do they pay for this themselves or does the institution pay? The institution covers it. Hmm. So uh, what is the, uh, have you noticed a distinction between male and female clients? 
Well, there's certainly a distinction. And um, I think in some respects, the female clients sort of over-identify with me. They bond with me. Many of them are much younger and they view me sort of as a big sister, um, can lean in on me in that respect. The men, I think, feel like I'm, um, I've got a tomboy streak, so I can I can play with them and joke with them. And they're a little bit more, um, you know, they don't like to be needy. So they don't, they don't have to be, they can joke and, and cut up and then they can get comfortable sharing with me because in some ways men have more of more easy uh, access to their emotions when they're with a woman than when they're with a man. Do you know what the technical term is for tomboy? No. Hoyden. I never use that word. Yes, Hoyden means, means a tomboy. A little bit more elegant. But... <laughs> I trust you, Alan. You're always throwing words at me I've never seen before. Well, I, should, I, I have an addiction to doing that. <laughs> so here's what it sounds like to me. I want you to, I want you to correct this, these statements where I'm wrong. It sounds to me like you have created within the institution a certain community of people uh, who believe in you and trust you and rely on you for help, uh, both as a coach and as a trusted advisor. And it also seems to me uh, and again, irrespective of the pandemic or, or a flood or, or the eruption of a geyser or anything else, it seems to me that uh, you're almost in the in crowd uh, using your help uh, and that there is a certain community belongingness, a connectivity that is a natural marketing element. Uh, tell me if that's accurate. That's completely accurate. And, um, and I think, again, it's, it benefits to have uh, aligned myself with probably the most popular chair on the campus. And so by association, I gain a whole lot of cachet and people see his success and want to have it. And much like you, Alan, I think they, they want what he has and they figure out how did he get it? And he tells them me, um, although he's never, he's not a high praise guy at all. His praise comes through just um, recommendations, not through adulation but so he's an avatar though in other words uh, people see him and they say if this is good enough for him it's probably going to be good enough for me that's exactly right yeah. yeah yeah so tell me what um so here we are emerging i mean we're out of the tunnel now uh, yep. here we are with with i have great optimism i predicted late last quarter that march april may would be a business boom and it is turning out to be exactly that yep. uh, what plans do you have in your business if any, that are that are going to change and be different from what you've been doing? Well, I mean, different from last year, I'm going to start traveling again, oh. and but probably return to uh, a hybrid model, um, which I'm really looking forward to. I, th I think one of the silver linings of uh, COVID was that people realized that Zoom works and it works, you know, it's not an A plus, but it's sure not a B plus either. It's about an A minus. Um, there's there's so for coming up. As Stanford coming up. Um, so I'm going to probably start returning to the West Coast on a trimester basis. Um, I am currently at this point expanding into, I think I mentioned earlier, um, Yale and MD Anderson and a, a new company in Cambridge. So I'll be sort of straddling the coasts. I was much more diversified before I got super invested with MDs. So I'm probably going to um, stay in the medicine pharma world, but expand a bit. Uh, um, I had five pharmaceutical companies at one time as clients, uh, by the way. Where are you geographically? 
I'm located in Asheville, North Carolina. So so, I so you dealt with a West Coast institution with very little problem. Well, I would say you got to get used to flying across the country every two weeks. But yeah, I mean, I, as you said, I remember this straight from your mouth. If you're going to be traveling, go first class and make it comfortable. So that right, yeah. I travel first class and I make it comfortable. And with that, you know, it's, it's just like having a little Disney ride that lasts five and a half hours. <laughs> instead I, of I like that. I like that. <laughs> and, and JetBlue has put in all new first class seats. So that's just fine. JetBlue rocks, rocks and blows away the competition. Really, yeah. really true. I mean, they're, they're like really the Emirates internationally. I mean, they're just great. There's uh, no competition. Yeah. So what would you like to accomplish in, in 2021? Well, Alan, great question. I, I woke up on January 1st and the word that came into my head was savor. Um, I am as I like to say, flying at 30,000 feet with a glass of really good Cabernet in my hand. And I don't want to blow that. So I don't want to overwork. Um, and I plan on, you know, keeping my, my work days between Tuesday and Thursday, and then having long vacations on the weekends, whether that's locally or anywhere else now that travel is uh, back on the table. Um, and I really am a firm believer in uh, reaping what you've sown in a good way and savoring the, uh, the fruits of my labor. So um, I'm hoping to do what I have done, which is lots and lots of reading and yoga and gardening and talking to friends. Um, I have a book in mind that actually is gonna be called Savor uh, because one of the things I see with very advanced um, physicians who are, you know, killing it, literally, they've got international um, fame, and they are just still slogging. They're, they still think they're in the mines, and they haven't picked their heads up. So I really want to speak to that and um, model it. And so I, I anticipate having a very luxurious, relaxing, and um, challenging in a good way, but not stressful year. That's well, what's sounds, sounds to me like a wonderful life. I can relate to that very much. Uh, and I'm uh, Rebecca Merrill is, uh, I'm proud to say, is a member of my community, and I wanted to share her success. Rebecca, if people want to get in touch with you or uh, see what you have to offer, where would they go? They would go to my website, which is merrillleadership.com, and there's two R's and three L's in the middle of that. Two R's and three L's, or as the British <laughs> say, triple L, I guess. Triple L, uh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time and I want to wish you all the good fortune and all the best for 2021. I'm sure you'll have it. Thank you, Alan. You too. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.